Last time, we learned that Jesus wept in sympathy for others. Remember that? In John 11, verse 35, says Jesus wept. Jesus wept for the sorrow of his friends, Mary and Martha, over the death of their brother, Lazarus. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, weep with them that weep. And the best way to display our love and concern for others in times of heartache is just being there to sincerely cry with them. And Jesus was present out of love for his friends. It hurt him to see them so sorrowful. Now today, we will learn that Jesus also wept in concern for sinners. But also today, we begin a series on the final week of Jesus' life. So our message today takes place on Sunday, traditionally known as Palm Sunday, the day of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and with Jesus weeping for sinners. I had to combine the two when the Lord gave me these three times when Jesus, when he wept, that it runs close to Palm Sunday itself. So what I'd like to do is take perhaps each day or something as we get together till Good Friday. I think that's something like that. If the Lord lets it work that way. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, just before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus had told his disciples at least three times what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34, Luke tells us in the NLT, and before I get there, we'll, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll be using the New International Version this morning. <clears throat> and we'll be into Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 18, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 31 to 34, Luke tells us, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. The disciples may have understood something of what Jesus said, but they could not understand why God's chosen one would have to face such suffering. For those who were expecting the promised one to be an exalted figure who would deliver God's people, it would be very difficult to reconcile with such an expectation, with such severe suffering. And though Jesus spoke plainly, they would not grasp the significance of his words until they saw the risen Christ face to face. Now we come to the day after making that prediction, the day for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And all four Gospels share this important event in the life of Christ. 
And we read in Luke's account, in chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, as I said from the NIV. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Now Mark 11 verse 3 says, The Lord needs it and will send it back here right away. Now Jesus was in control of the events of the last week of his life, even though those events led to his death. Here he prepared to enter the city riding on a colt, a donkey. And we see here that on Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples left Bethany and came near the village of Bethage. Bethany and Bethage were about two miles from Jerusalem. <coughs> And during the early part of his final week, perhaps Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Jesus and his disciples traveled back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem each day, spending each day in Jerusalem and each night in Bethany. And the Mount of Olives was in a range of hills just outside of Jerusalem, directly across from the temple. Now verse 31 the Lord needs the donkey. Now such borrowing of an, an animal was not as strange as it may appear. There was an ancient custom by which a political or religious leader could commandeer property for short-term use. Something like the police can do if they stop your car and need this, right? Same idea. Jesus was entering Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, festivals that commemorated the great act of God's deliverance for the nation. And such feasts were often celebrated this, at this time with the hope that God's decisive deliverance would come. My pages are sticking. So why was it important that it was a donkey on which no one had ever ridden. It was a common practice in Jesus' day not to use anything for a sacred purpose that had been used previously for a common purpose. And therefore, the donkey that Jesus rode into the city must not have been ridden before because it was going to be used to carry the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, continuing in verses 32 to 34. And so, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. Now, by this time, Jesus was extremely well known. Everyone coming to Jerusalem for the Passover festival had heard of him, and for a time the popular mood was favorable toward him. The Lord needs it. That's all the disciples had to say. 
and the colt's owners gladly turned their animal over to them. Verse 35 says, So they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put it on Jesus, or Jesus, and put Jesus on it. Get a little tongue twister here this morning. Ah, sometimes it's hard. Took the quarter to one last night. Better than three o'clock. <laughs> but anyway, that's the way it works, right? And anyway, get back here. Okay, so they put Jesus on it. And so the two disciples brought the donkey to Jesus and they put their coats on the donkey's back as a makeshift saddle and Jesus sat on the donkey. Now this scene recalls the declaration of Jehu as king in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, where we read, they hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps then they blew the trumpet and showed it, Jehu is king. Now it might seem strange to us that Jesus rode on a donkey because we have a different views of donkeys, don't we? Than they did in the ancient times. We think of donkeys as beasts of burden used for common purposes. But that's not how some ancient cultures viewed a donkey. Kings and princes and judges rode on donkeys. When a king rode a horse, it meant they were going to war. But if a king was going on a mission of peace, he would ride a donkey. And when a new king was being crowned, he would ride a donkey. King David made sure that his son Solomon rode on his mule through the city as a sign that Solomon was the newly crowned king who was succeeding David as king. And you'll find that in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 to 40. Zechariah, in chapter 9, verse 9, had prophesied around 520 B.C. that the coming king would ride into Jerusalem humbly on a donkey. At that time, the Israelites were still a conquered people. So in the midst of that oppression, Zechariah promised that God would send a king to lead them out of bondage and into freedom. And right up to the time of Jesus, the Jewish people were still waiting for that king to come as they suffered under Roman occupation. However, Luke does not emphasize these connections with Old Testament prophecy as Matthew and John do. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, we read, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. In John chapter 12, verse 15, we read, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. But then, what took place next must have blown the minds of the disciples. Luke verses 36 to 38. Verse 36. As Jesus went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. 
Now we see here in Luke's version, it mentions the people laying down their cloaks. But Matthew chapter 1 verse 8 says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And Mark chapter 11 verse 8 says, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. And John chapter 12, verse 13, specifically mentions they were palm branches. And palm branches were used for festive occasions and to celebrate a victory. And here they did it in recognition of Jesus as the king who would deliver them. In verse 37, when Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And we too need to praise him for all the miraculous ways he works in our lives. And also we need to praise him for his love for us, for his patience for us, for his grace and his mercy, and also for who he is. In verse 38, they shouted, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In the other gospel accounts, this is preceded by the word Hosanna. John in chapter 12, verse 13 says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us now. Literally, it means we beg you to save us. Please deliver us. <coughs> it was such a, an arousing scene that in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied in verse 40, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees knew things were getting out of their control and they wanted Jesus to bring an end to it. But Jesus declared to them that there is no stopping the praise that is to come to him. If you silence the people, he said, then the stones will cry out the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. Jesus will be praised. It cannot be stopped. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we read that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Some translations have it should bow. And I, I don't like that because they say you should do it. You will do it. <laughs> In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John includes in his account of the triumphal entry in John chapter 12, verses 17 to 19. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him, exclamation mark. The Pharisees knew they had to do something drastic. 
but it seemed to them, because it seemed to them, the whole world was following Jesus. And what were the followers of Jesus thinking about all that was happening that day? The people who were praising God for giving them a king had the wrong idea about Jesus. They expected him to be a political leader who would restore their nation to its former glory. And thus they were deaf to the words of their prophets and blind to Jesus' real mission. They failed to see their true need, their need for spiritual freedom. And the irony is, Jesus' purpose was to save them, but not in the way they were hoping for. And this reality brought a reaction from Jesus they weren't expecting. As Jesus rounded the last bend in the road, suddenly his countenance dropped, changed. And Luke gives us this insight in verses 41 to 44. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. As he gazed at the happy faces on all the people around him, and at the whole city of Jerusalem, he wept. He realized that the cheering crowd was filled with people who were caught up in the excitement, but they were not truly recognizing him as the Messiah. And so he said in verse 42, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus here was expressing his sorrow for Jerusalem because it had rejected him and therefore missed its opportunity for peace. Now, history has shown that Jerusalem has not been a city of peace even until recent times. In its turbulent history, spanning 3,500 years, Jerusalem has seen so little peace. At least 118 major conflicts have taken place over it and even in recent times. It has become a terrible bone of contention between the Palestinians and the Jews. So instead of being a city of peace, Jerusalem has therefore become a city of weeping. This helps us now to understand why Jesus wept over the city during his triumphal entry. He wept in full sympathy with those who had been longing for peace in Jerusalem, a peace that should have been possessed by Jerusalem, which is supposed to be a city of peace. The word Salem, S-A-L-E-M, means peace. And the word Jerusalem means foundation of peace. So in our text here, the true foundation of peace is riding into the city named Foundation of Peace, knowing that they will reject him. And that's why he's weeping. So Jesus, the Prince of Peace, wept for what they might have had, had they only embraced, instead of rejected, this one, Jesus, now entering the city. He knew that in less than a week's time, they would crucify him, and he wept, not for himself, but for the sinners who refused him. 
He felt the anguish and sorrow of the city and the nation that represents the nation of Israel. And since Christ himself was a Jew, he naturally felt burdened that his own people should be blessed with peace in this world and in the next. And now, as our Lord and Savior today, he desires for us to be blessed with the peace that passeth all understanding, the peace that is ours through being his people. He said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And because he desires this peace for us so much, we can be assured that he weeps with us when we are troubled <coughs> and bereft of peace. The tears that Jesus shed on earth reminds us that we have a Savior who understands our feelings. His tears must also remind those who are still unsaved not to forsake the opportunity for peace with God that Jesus came to bestow on us. As the Prince of Peace, He alone can bring sinners into a permanent state of peace with God. And that's Romans 5, verse 1. Jesus has given opportunity after opportunity to many of the unsaved to possess this peace. And yet, strangely, many choose to forsake that opportunity or to despise it altogether. And that is exactly what Jerusalem did. The Jews could have had such blessed peace, but they did not have it because they missed their opportunity. They thought their greatest need was for a political deliverance, but their greatest need was for a spiritual deliverance. If only they looked to Jesus to bring the true peace they needed, rather than thinking the external political peace was the solution to their problems. Question, are we looking to external things to solve our problems? Or are we looking to Jesus? Peace was hidden from their eyes because they were unwilling to look to where it could be found. In Luke 13, verse 34, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. That has an exclamation mark. They weren't willing to do it his way. They weren't willing to accept his terms. And Jesus could say this today. He longs to gather the sinner under his wing, but so many are not willing. They don't see their need for spiritual freedom because they don't see themselves as sinfully bound. 
Another reason Jesus wept is revealed in verses 43 and 44, where he says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And for this, Jesus weeps. He wept over his people's destruction. His prophecy of devastation happened when the city was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70 with great loss of life as a result of a Jewish rebellion. The destruction was so complete that all remained of the glorious temple was just a wall. And today it is known as the Wailing Wall because many Jews go there to weep and wail over the destruction of their beloved city. In the last part of verse 44, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you, highlights for us the ultimate cause of Jerusalem's destruction. They didn't recognize that God in the flesh was living among them. People rejected him because they couldn't handle the truth that he spoke. In John 1 verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is Jesus showing us what God is like. To see him is to see the one and true living God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus wept because he knew the destruction that was coming upon his beloved people, all because they refused to accept him for who he was. I encountered a man on the road of life, so sure of himself, so convinced he was right. He had his religion, but he didn't know God. And though he had eyes, I thought it rather odd. He only couldn't see what he wanted to see. So blind to the truth that could set his soul free, the man charged ahead, unaware that he was lost, until he encountered a man on a cross. At a fork in the road, where the path became two, the man who had always been so sure now had to choose. Between broad and narrow, between left and right, between things he could see and things not in sight. And I'm sure <clears throat> that, that, that the man would have gone the wrong way had he not encountered the Savior that day. But God rescued him. Truth set him free. Grace opened his eyes, and now he could see. Jesus wept because his people were blind to their impending destruction. 
And Jesus weeps today over those who are just as oblivious. He longs to gather us under his wing, under the protection of his salvation. So is Jesus weeping over you this morning? Will you embrace him as Savior and Lord? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Mm -hmm. And I'll leave you with that this morning.